Amen. Good evening. Good to be with everybody. I was started to worry there for a second because uh, back in uh, Bible college days, one of the things you did in homiletics is extemporaneous preaching, as it's called. And so pastor got up and said, I'm going to read the Bible, and then Brad's going to come preach. I was thinking he might say, and Brad's going to preach from the passage that I read. All right, start thinking of something. You gotta gotta be on your toes. But I guess you know it does work. It kind of naturally happens. He started reading. The Lord just impressed upon me the thought about the fact that uh, the Bible says that we're members of one body. And you know sometimes we think of church just as an organization, like a business or uh, any kind of a group, and the people are sort of interchangeable. You know, we just need people to give and fill a pew and, and do work around the church, but we can use anybody to do that. But that's not how a body works. The parts of a body aren't interchangeable. You've got to have all the parts to make a whole body. Is that registering? Yeah. If not, you'll catch up later. It's okay. All right, that's totally free. Right? That's the extemporaneous uh, part tonight. Uh, go to Exodus 17. Of course, I say that carefully. Maybe that'd be the best thing you get this evening. I don't know whatever the Lord has for you, but uh, we'll be in Exodus 17 in a minute. I was uh, reading something this past week about a a university in Arizona, and uh, the psychology department there had done these tests where they brought in students, thousands of them, and they gave them these, uh, basically some letters with blanks, and they asked the students to fill in the rest of the letters to form a word. Right, so if it was GL blank blank, they could have said uh, glue or glum or something like that. And basically, they went down through this list, and then at the end, they sort of psychoanalyze. Right, do the the words that you picked to fill in these blanks means that they t- say something about you? And the psychology of that aside, what at least what I found to be the most fascinating part of this is when the students were asked what the words they filled in said about them, almost to a person, they said they don't really mean anything. You know, these are just random words. I just filled in whatever I you know, saw in a crossword or something like that. But then they swapped all the papers around and asked them to analyze what another person's answers were. And again, almost every one of them said that they could tell some things about people by looking at how they filled in these blanks. And it just, it just jumped out at me how we think we have other people pegged. You know? Now, we are these complex enigmas. Other people, the world doesn't understand us. But I can just see the blank somebody filled in on a piece of paper, and I, I think I know all about them. I know what their problems are. I know what kind of a person they are. It isn't, are we like that too often, frankly? Uh, you know, and that's the, the world we live in, crazy as it is, and seemingly heading headlong worse every day. Uh, Exodus 17, Exodus 17, uh, let's look at one verse here, and then we'll uh, open with a word of prayer and, and get going. Verse 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial and a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly, utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you uh, for the day that you've given us and for the opportunity to gather once again. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us and meet with us, Lord, in these next few moments as we open your scriptures and think upon them. And I pray that you would meet with us and bless your people. 
Thank you for this book. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, heard a lot about living out our faith this morning, and I agree that was a a good message today. Brother Sam even mentioned a very similar thought as sort of a a little devotional during choir practice today. And I think this will kind of dovetail with that in many respects. Uh, I've entitled this, When God Takes Note. When God Takes Note. Uh, And just to be clear from the outset, God sees everything. So I'm I'm saying when God takes note, and don't think there are things that are beyond uh, what he can see, Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9 tells us the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, beholding the evil and the good, by the way. So the stuff that you think you're doing in secret in the dark that maybe he's not paying attention to, he's paying attention to. The evil and the good. Job said, seeing that times are not hidden from the Almighty, because they aren't. Job also said in chapter 42 in verse 2 that no thought can be withheld from thee. No thought. You can't think anything that God doesn't know about. So when I say things that God takes note of, do not for a second confuse this with these are the only things that God knows about. By no means is that the case. And yet the Bible makes clear that certain things seem to be the object of God's particular attention, if we can describe it that way. And one of them, though there are many, and this will not be exhaustive by any means, is here that God cites faithfulness, particularly his faithfulness. This passage is where the people thirst and God allows Moses to bring water from the rock, and then they go to battle against Amalek, and Aaron Hur have to hold his arms up uh, so that the battle uh, will go for Israel. And after this, God says, write this for a memorial in a book. I want you to, to mark down and then rehearse in the ears of those that are coming up after you how I have been faithful to my people. Don't forget about it. God takes note of these things, and he wants us to remember them. Uh, Go over to Jeremiah 23 real quick. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Those of you that have been in your Bible much will recall, particularly throughout uh, the Old Testament, moving forth from Exodus, how God would oftentimes, when he's through his, his prophets, reminding his people about things, and we need to be reminded about stuff often, When God is sort of rehearsing his faithfulness to his people, he often recalls how he brought them out of Egypt. That's obviously a huge thing in Israel's history, and God reminds them of that over and over. In Jeremiah 23, though, look at this in verse 7. I can get my pages turned. Jeremiah 23, verse 7, Therefore, behold... The days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. 
That uh, sounds like that goes with some of the news that's uh, happening right now. A lot of focus, of course, on the nation of Israel once again. As I mentioned in my Sunday school class this morning, there have been people who said, if I had to give you one proof of the accuracy, uh, the divinity of the scriptures, the word would be Israel. That God has brought this people. He's fulfilled this word. God is saying, I, I want to make mention of something. You've heard it repeated and rehearsed over and over. You need to remember the faithfulness of God and how he brought his people out of the land of Egypt. But God said, there's coming a time that you're not going to rehearse that over and over. You're going to talk about how God, who dispersed his people throughout the world, brought them back again to the land he promised them. God cites his own faithfulness. In fact, over to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20, I'll give you another sort of example here. 2 Chronicles 20, uh, Moab and the children of Ammon have come up against uh, Jehoshaphat to battle. And Jehoshaphat begins to pray. He goes to the Lord there in uh, starting verse 4 and 5. But then notice just quickly what he says in verse 6. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, are not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? He's asking these sort of rhetorical questions toward the Lord. In verse 7, art not thou our God? Another question. And look down in verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? So here's a, a good example of a godly king, a leader of God's people. And when he goes to pray, his pattern is, God, are you not, did you not, and will you not? Notice he doesn't just start at, God, we need this, and we need this, and do this. He starts by rehearsing God's faithfulness back to him. Are you not, did you not, will you not? God cites, he he brings to remembrance his faithfulness to his people. And he tells them, write it down in a book and rehearse it. With one another. Go to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. God not only cites his faithfulness, but in Psalm 56, look at verse 8. See that God collects tears. David is here, time that he's been taken into Gath. In verse 8, he says, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? God takes note when his people cry. I find a lot of comfort in that because a lot of times I think we, we feel like maybe those, those tears are wasted or that maybe God doesn't notice. You know, our Savior's life was characterized in many ways. He was called a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. It's not necessarily what you expect for a king or the son of God, and yet that marked his life in many ways. Most people know the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. He wept. I think it's interesting that Jesus' life is characterized by sorrow, yet even all the way up and through the crucifixion, he never shed a tear for himself, but he cried often for others. He cried over Lazarus. He cried over the city of Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate man. 
I think he teaches us that men don't cry for themselves, but men do cry for other people. And God takes note. God collects tears. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7 says, the trial of our faith being much more precious than gold. You're going through some trials. Might be some tears involved. God's got a bottle he keeps those in. There's numerous times throughout the scriptures where you hear God's people crying out, right? How long, O Lord? Look up that phrase sometime. How long, O Lord? The creation itself is groaning in anticipation of God restoring, making this stuff right. We all have this sense that things aren't right and we anticipate them being made right. And God's people, you go all the way up through the book of Revelation, right? How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And God's saying, don't you worry. Every tear that's been cried, I've made note of it. I'm going to make it right. It's going to be worthwhile. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. End of your Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3 is, some said the old, only Italian prophet in the Bible, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Thirdly, God codifies those that fear his name. He codifies it. He, he puts it into a book. He writes it down. He makes remembrance of those that fear him. And I like that little phrase, that thought upon his name. You find yourself often thinking upon the Lord. I hope you do. I hope he's in your thoughts all throughout the day. That's part of what we're, we've heard all this, this morning that your faith isn't just something, some box you check or something you say you have. It's something that should influence the decisions you make all the time, all the time. Psalm 10.4 says that the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. It's part of the definition of wickedness and pridefulness is that God is not in your thoughts. You and your desires are what's in your thoughts. Psalm 33, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Boy, when you're in the word and God is in your thoughts, you stand in awe of your creator. Be not wise in thine own eyes, Proverbs 3 says. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It's another thing about thinking about God, about God being in your thoughts and your thoughts being in his word is that it tends to help make you depart from evil. See, we get into trouble when we're not thinking about God and then that makes us think he's not thinking about us either. And then we get ourselves into trouble, don't we? Go over to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. We have the story of a, a woman who brings expensive ointment and pours it upon the body of the Lord. And in verse 9 of Mark 14, it says, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for memorial of her. Now, a lot of people think that 
this uh, woman is Mary, and you can look at John chapter 12 and Luke chapter uh, 7, I think it is, uh, for similar stories, but at least one of them takes place before the triumphal entry, and the other one takes place after, and one is in in Martha's house, and one is in uh, Simon's house. So I don't know, they have to be the same uh, event necessarily, but I'll let you sort some of that out. But notice that God commands, or commends rather, sacrifice. This woman has sacrificed. And though others chided her and says, oh, that's wasteful. You should have, you know, given that to the poor. Sounds like a good liberal, right? Very generous with other people's money and what they should have done with it. Oh, they have all kinds of lofty things that other people should be doing with their money. And I guess they want some sort of credit for figuring that out. But Jesus <laughs> turns the tables and says, no, she's done a good thing. She's made sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord takes note of that. In fact, he said that even though this Roman empire in which you exist currently is only going to exist in some de- dusty textbook 2,000 years from now, everywhere the gospel goes throughout the whole world, I'm going to make sure that everyone knows what this woman Boy, your sacrifice might seem small. Nobody knows that I cleaned all the toilets in the church. God knows you did. Now, it may not make it into the Bible, but God takes note of sacrifice done for him. God's accounting is very good. Nothing slips. He notes every tear. He notes every sacrifice made. Every generous offering, though maybe nobody else knows about it, God does. And he takes note of it. He makes, in this case, special accommodation to make sure that this sacrificial act is recorded in Scripture for all to know of. Not so much per se that this woman is glorified, but that God's people, now 2,000 years removed, can see God's mind about these things. These are the things that God takes note of and wants others to take note of. Go over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Another thing God takes note of is that God compiles prayers. He compiles prayer. In Acts chapter 8, you have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and God directs Philip to him, as many of you are probably aware of that story. That takes place in Gaza, by the way, down the spot that's been in the news there. I think of Gaza as like the the, uh, Tijuana of the United States, or Baja, California, sort of down there in the the southwest. But uh, a eunuch is praying, and God takes note of it. In chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, is praying and God takes note of it. And now here we are in chapter 10, and it says in verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And so he sees a vision about the ninth hour, verse uh, 3 says, uh, day of an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? 
And he said unto him, thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. God took note of Cornelius's prayer. And what's going to happen is Cornelius is going to send messengers to go find Peter, who's in Joppa, as as he directs him. And Peter is there, and Peter, during this time, is having the the vision, if you recall from um, reading the scriptures, of animals being let down. It's about the the sixth hour of the day, lunchtime, and Peter's hungry, the Bible says, so he's, you know, kind of half dreaming, probably about what he's having for lunch, and he sees this vision of a, a sheet, the Bible says, as it were, a sheet held by the corners, let down with all kinds of animals, and The Lord tells him, rise, Peter, and eat. And Peter says, no way. I've never eaten anything unclean. I only eat kosher stuff. Okay, that's a paraphrase. But God says, hey, don't call what I've called clean. Don't you call unclean. And it's either interesting there in chapter 10, verse 13. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake again, so me unto him again, the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Now, this is interesting. This was done thrice. Uh, so God does it once, says, rise and eat. Peter says, hey, I don't eat anything unclean. So God does it again, says, don't call what I do unclean. Apparently, something else goes on in the conversation there because God has to show Peter a third time. Does that sound familiar at all? Yeah, didn't Jesus tell Peter, before the cock crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice? And then remember over in John chapter 21, Jesus comes and he's cooking. He's got some fish along the fire and the disciples come there and they eat. And Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says he does. And then the Lord asks him again. And Peter says he does. And the Lord asks him a third time. And the Bible says that Peter got upset that he asked him a third time. Seems to be a a recurring theme here. Verse 18, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. Now, Cornelius has sent, lo and behold, three men to go seek out Peter. I don't know, that might have something to do with the fact that Peter's a little uh, resistant to what God is doing and three men show up that Peter needs to give a message to, and he just received the same message from God three times in a row. Might be something to that. His vision is repeated three times. This is a case, you know, Cornelius is a Roman. He's a centurion. And Rome is expanding. Rome is, is lavish, and their borders are getting bigger and bigger. And I just, I think it's interesting as reading through this that God is using Cornelius and Peter, and they're both going to get a lesson. This centurion who's been praying and God's taking note of his prayers, his world's been getting bigger and bigger and and Rome is conquering, but he's going to use this Jew to come tell him that his world needs to get focused into the one thing that's truly important, and that is God sent his son to die for him. Peter, the Jew, already knows that, but he still thinks the world revolves around just Israel. And God's going to show him that God's got a bigger plan in place. Jesus at the center of both of them. 
But one needs to see the world get smaller and brought down to what's really important. And the other one needs to see that, yes, that's what's important, and God wants the whole world to know about it. Go over to Jeremiah 14. Jeremiah 14. I'll mention a caveat or two here, if you will, that these are things that God takes note of. But I want us to consider something here as we bring this to a close. Jeremiah chapter 14. And I think this, again, dovetails well with, if we want to call it sort of a theme that we've had today. And that is that though God takes note of all these things in a a particular way, God considers our obedience in how he takes note of these things. In Jeremiah chapter 14, we won't go back for, for too much context, but Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and he has this ministry of reaching. Someone has said that he is, uh, he's taking a, a heart-breaking message to a heart-hardened people, and that sums it up pretty well. But look at verse 11 of Jeremiah 14. The Lord says, Then said the Lord unto me, Pray not for this people for their good. That seems like an odd command for God to give, doesn't it? As much as we know God values prayer, as important as prayer is, doesn't it seem odd that God would tell his servant, don't pray for these people? In fact, look at verse 12. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. Well, I I thought God, you know, fasting moved the heart of God. And it does. Crying, we just learn that God keeps tears in the bottle. I mean, God appreciates he notes when his people cry but he says here not going to hear it not going to pay attention when they offer burnt offerings and oblation i will not accept them but i will consume them by the sword by the famine and by the pestilence god says if there's no obedience your praying won't help your fasting won't help your tears won't help Your giving won't help. What we're trying to say is that you can't offset disobedience with these things that we're saying God takes note of. All things that are good, that are frankly critical in the Christian life, but they do not offset disobedience. Go over to chapter 23 while you're there in Jeremiah. Interestingly, chapter 23 of Jeremiah, the word obey is found more times in the book of Jeremiah than any other book of the Bible. Just a coincidence, I'm sure, but Jeremiah 23, and look at verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from their evil doings. If they had stood in my counsel. Obedience is what was missing. Galatians 5, 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Obedience. Obedience is the very best way, right, to show that we believe. All these are things that God takes note of, but he also takes note of our obedience. In your heart, how do you view these things? And do you act upon them? 
You know, there's two thieves, of course, crucified next to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who was saved, what did he say there at the end? Lord, remember me. Isn't that what the heart cry of every human is, that they want to not be forgotten by God? Now, some people want to get away with their sin. They want to be like, well, God, just don't pay any attention to me. But interesting that God takes note of certain things. He makes memorials. He writes them in books. He keeps tears in a bottle. And this dying thief wasn't a church member, never got baptized, didn't have a long life to live and be sanctified, so to speak. He's got one thing. He said, Lord, remember me. And God does. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I will say this. Praise God for those that do know him. There are a few things that God chooses to not remember. Hebrews 10 says that our sins and our iniquities will he remember no more. Well, I'm glad that God takes note when I pray, when I sacrifice, when my heart is heavy and tears are running down my cheeks. I'm glad God takes note of that. But God wants my obedience as well. And I'm very glad that my sins and my iniquities will he remember no we get stuff sometimes confused or jumbled up in our head, right? Like, well, he kind of said that, but is he really going to forgive us? Well, we believe his word. Aren't you glad God's not going to remember that stuff? A divine, sovereign eraser <laughs> for memories. And God has perfect memory. God's mind is the, the accurate record of reality through all of history. And yet he says, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Praise the Lord. God takes note of some things, and I'm glad that he does. And hopefully it's been a help to us tonight. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you again for the word of God. Lord, thank you that we have your promises, Lord, and that you take note of even the smallest of things that are done in your name. Lord, thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. And Lord, that you will not bring up our sins and iniquities forever. Lord, we love you. We give you the rest of this service this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.